0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All right, Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up today in, uh, in verse 1. We've been working through this message series now for, for many weeks. We are now actually in part 12 uh, of our message series. And so we're going to be in it for a while. Y'all okay with that? Okay, we're going to be in it for a while, uh, as you can tell. Part twelve, but we're only in Acts eight. It's just we're going to probably be in it. At least I would guess until right up uh, Christmas time, something like that. Um, but if you remember, if you remember from last Sunday, I preached a message on pride. Who was here for that message? Raise your hand if the Holy Ghost did one of these, like in the gut, like gotcha in the gut, like yeah, convicted some people. Thank you, Nick. Both hands went up. That's a a good confession in church. Well, last week we talked about the peril of pride. And if you remember from last Sunday, I talked about uh, Stephen and his stance for truth. And y'all remember what happened when Stephen stood for truth? You remember what happened? He got, like, he got, right, with what? Stone with stones, like real stones. He, for those of you who are new to Christianity, new to church, like he really, he got killed with rocks and stones because he stood for the truth. And how many of y'all know that will happen to some of us at times when we stand for the truth, if not physically, probably verbally. How many of y'all experienced a little bit of persecution for your Christian faith? Maybe a little bit? Well, I promise you, can I just prophesy a little bit? More's coming. Happy 4th. Y'all ready? More, more, more of that is coming. But, but Stephen stood for the truth. He took a stance for the truth and was stoned because of it. Now, if you were paying attention last Sunday, you, 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 you caught the fact that there was a man there at Stephen's execution, someone that we didn't talk about in any length, but someone that we all know very well by name, and that was, who wants to say it? Who was there? Saul. Saul, and we know him as... Okay, now I'm going to clear up some confusion on the names here in just a second, but, but there was a man there, his name was Saul, and this man Saul was there, not as a Christian, of course, but he was there as this execution was taking place, and he stood there, and he was clapping his hands, essentially, giving approval to this execution. Now, just to give you a picture of who who Saul was and who Saul became, how many of y'all know, once that transformation took place, like some of us say, well, you know, I've kind of always served God. I've kind of always, you know, as far back as I can remember, I've lived for the Lord. That's a great testimony. Well, listen, Saul, in his own mind, thought that he was living for the Lord. He thought that he was serving God, but later he found, that he realized that he had actually been working uh, against the very God that he claimed to serve. But he underwent this radical transformation, and we're going to look at that in weeks to come in in chapter 9. But he had this incredible contrast of the pre-Christ, who he was before Christ, and then after Christ. It was just an incredible transformation. And now, if y'all know, that's what God's in the business of doing, transforming us. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, when he gets a hold of you, he transforms you. Can I get an amen? Because he's transformed your life. Well, here in Acts chapter 8, beginning here in verse 1, here's here's what Luke tells us. Luke says this, and Saul approved of his, you say it, of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed at home. Verse two says, "Devout men buried Stephen and made great. They they made great lamentation over him." Verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, ladies, y'all were included too, and committed them to to what? Now, are y'all getting the picture of the the pre Christ Saul? Like, I mean, if you can just picture in your mind for just a second, okay? We gotta be careful here. I want you to picture in your mind dog the bounty hunter. Y- y- y'all know who I'm talking about? Now I'm not saying that Saul looked like him, okay? But come on, get 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 Dog the Bounty Hunter. You got the profile, you got the picture, the face? Y'all seen it? Okay. I want you to think of of, of Saul, at least in these terms, that Saul went house to house, door to door. Not like, not like some missionaries go door-to-door to tell people about Jesus, but door-to-door arresting Christians and then what? Dragging them. Not cuffing, stuffing them, and then taking them, you know, on the back of the horse. Into, but what? I want you to picture being dragged out of your home simply for the fact that you are a Christian. Imagine, you know, being there at dinner time, and you got your kids all around, and all of a sudden there wasn't a knock at the door, but Saul, like Dog the Bounty Hunter, kicks in the door, arrests you, and then drags you through the city streets and throws you into prison. Are y'all getting the picture? Now, when Saul gave God praise for Jesus and the grace in Christ... That's one of the reasons, as he reflected on his past, he saw the ugliness of who he was, and then he came to realize the beauty of Jesus and his transforming grace and gave God all kinds of praise because of it, because, y'all, this was a radical transformation that he underwent. But here's what I want you to see here. Saul did not undergo a name change. We say all the time, well, Saul got changed to Paul. That's not true. Actually, Saul was Paul, and Paul was Saul. There's no name change, okay? Check this out. you're taking notes, write this down. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. Even after his conversion, at times, he's referred to as Saul. So Saul is, say it with me, Paul, and Paul is Saul is the same person, okay? Two names. His his Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name was... Are are y'all with me? Are y'all with me? There wasn't a name change, but there was a heart change. Are y'all with me? Not a name change, but, but a heart change. And here's what I want you to see. Like Dog the Bounty Hunter, Saul is kicking down doors, dragging Christians into prison. And watch this. I'm sure the entire time he thought he was doing God a favor. I'm sure that in his mind, he thought that he was getting the smile of God because of his zeal against these Christians who were preaching Jesus. Now, this is very, very scary because Saul knew the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, very, very well. He knew it so very well, but all the while, he missed the point of the Old Testament. How many of you guys know the Old Testament points to Jesus? How many of y'all know the point of the Old Testament is Jesus? He was so close to it that he couldn't see clearly the Messiah, even though the Messiah had just come. Listen to what Jesus says about uh, two Jewish opponents uh, in in his day. He says this, John 5, 39-40. Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Isn't that something? You search the scriptures because you think in them they they give you eternal life, but it's the scriptures that testify about, about me. In other words, the Old Testament points to Jesus, and the point of the Old Testament is Jesus. Now, the truth was there the entire time, right there in front of Saul, but he just didn't see it. And if he did, he wasn't obedient to what he saw, which raises a very important point, namely that sometimes we are just like Saul. How many of you guys know at times we can miss the truth even when the truth is right there in front of our very eyes? Sometimes we can miss the truth, even though the truth is right here in front of us. Why is that? Well, there are different reasons, but sometimes I believe we read the Bible and we hear what we want to hear and we accept only what we want to accept. Are you guys tracking with me today? Somebody said it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. Are y'all picking up what I'm laying down? Oh, Lord, speak, but only speak what i want you to say and it's the lord's voice as long as what he says and i want line up Ooh, you ever done that Uh uh-huh how many of y'all know we shouldn't use the bible to support our agenda but we should get our agenda from the bible and support what it teaches are y'all with me today y'all a little sleepy today are y'all is this making sense listen listen to me here let me say it again We should get our agenda from the Bible. We should not use the Bible to support our agenda. We should get behind God, find out what His is, and throw our lives into His purposes. One of my heroes, Raymond Brown, says this, Instead of reading the Bible to assure ourselves that we are right, we would be better to read it to discover where we have not been listening. Did y'all get that? Now, I know the Bible says that, that the word is the sword of the spirit. I get that in spiritual warfare. But listen to me. For our purposes today, we don't pick up the Bible like a sword to attack people. Are y'all with me? The Bible's not used to attack people. I want you to flip a metaphor around. I want you to use something else. Instead of thinking of it as a weapon, first of all, before you do anything else with it, think of it as a full-length mirror that shows you all your issues. Are y'all with me? and then you begin with you, you begin with you, and you take that big old nine foot plank out of your eyeball, and then you can see clearly to remove the what? Dispect from others. How many of y'all know it's a both end? You remove what's in you, so you can see clearly to help others remove what's in them, but how many of y'all know we have to begin with ourselves before we talk about anybody else? So I gotta be careful today. It's, it's a whole, I wanna be nice. are y'all with me today? So it's a full, it's a full length mirror. It's a fully mirror, and we shouldn't use it as a weapon, but but as such, as as a mirror to show us where we're off. But here's the great irony, as I'm just teaching through this today. The irony of the story in the first at least three verses is this, that Saul threw Christians into prison, yet they were the ones who were truly free. Because Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen to me carefully. I thank God for my American freedoms. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus, for our American freedoms. But listen to me. The freest people on the planet are Christians who have been freed by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Spirit. And you can be locked up somewhere in China, in the States, anywhere, everywhere around the world. Christians are the freest people because if God be for you, who can be against you? If your sins are forgiven, you might live in a cell somewhere like Christians in China who are in prison. But thank God, their home is not that prison. Their home is with Jesus in heaven. Come on, y'all. We are the freest people. Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. He has freed us from the curse. He has freed us from depression. He has freed us from addiction. Come on, y'all. We're free today because of Jesus, because of him. The great irony here is Christians were in prison, but but, but they were the freest people on the planet, at least spiritually. But check it out. The apostles, were told, stayed in Jerusalem, but the other Greek-speaking believers were scattered. Stephen's associates, they were scattered. In other words, the same people who persecuted Stephen also persecuted Stephen's group of Christian friends. But watch what happens next. Are y'all with me today? Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Listen to what Luke tells us. Now those who were scattered, everybody say scattered. What about preaching the word? I love that. Preaching the word. How many of y'all know you're all called to preach the word? It might be at Starbucks. It might be at Jack Coffee. It could be at your workplace. With wisdom, you share the word everywhere you go. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Circle that in your Bible. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, everybody say Samaria. To the city of Samaria. And what did he do there? He did what any man who'd been free by the blood of the Lamb would do. He proclaimed what? Christ. Everybody say Christ. And listen, Christ is not Jesus' last name. I've you on this before, haven't I? We got this straight? Jesus means, translates to mean something like Yahweh saves. Christ is Christos. It means anointed one. It means Messiah. So he proclaimed the Messiah in Samaria. And look at what it says. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Why? What got their attention? Well, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Verse seven. <clears throat> Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. I guess so. Because how many of y'all know if you've been lame, if you've been paralyzed, and all of a sudden you're up on your feet, you've got a reason to praise the Lord. That's true physically, but that's also true spiritually, isn't it for us? But do you, remember, do you remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8? Come on, are y'all with me on the fourth? Y'all remember what happened in Acts 1.8? What Jesus said, he said to the apostles, you're going to be my witnesses, where? Jerusalem? Lafayette? Right? New Iberia? Now let's go another direction. Alexandria? You're going to be my witnesses here locally in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in the region, Samaria, and to the ends of the... Do you understand that that is exactly what's happening right here in this passage? Just probably not the way that they wanted to be said. Persecution came against the church, so they they were scattered, but as they scattered, they gathered other believers into the church. How many of y'all know that's a real good way to grow the church? Persecution, when it comes, it, is, it hurts, but it's a foolproof way of growing the church because when persecution comes, it causes us to, to really to really hone in on what we believe and, and get unified around what we believe. So we lay aside all the little petty Christian arguments and we align in purpose. We align in mission and we go out those doors, not just trying to build a church service, but building the kingdom of God together as the people of God. Y'all, that is when revival takes place. So they went forth. They scattered. And at this point, of course, they're, they're here in Samaria. And, uh, well, Luke tells us that, that Philip went down to the city. Down meaning down in elevation uh, to, uh, from Jerusalem to Samaria. Samaria, just for your information, was about approximately 40 miles north of Jerusalem. So Philip went down in elevation north to 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 Samaria, and and there, there Philip did what Jesus had just done. You remember Jesus in John four. You remember who he ministered to? Come on, y'all. Samaritan woman. Y'all remember her? My pastor sang that twenty years ago, and it never left my head. It's never going to leave your head. Come on, sing it with me. Samaritan? No, don't do it. He ministered to the Samaritan woman. He crossed over a boundary. You don't cross over those boundaries. You don't go into Samaria and get that close to someone that unclean. Yes, it's true that Jews traveled through there, but to get that close, whoa! Whoa, you don't do that. Well, Philip is just walking in the footsteps of Jesus, literally. (laughs) And he goes to Samaria. And you guys remember, if you're taking notes, write this down. Samaria was a place of uncleanness. Take notes, if you're taking notes, write that down as a place of uncleanness. If you remember, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Assyrian, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And let me say it this way, they, they, they had, from, Jewish, from a Jewish perspective, they had the wrong blood. They had the wrong blood. They were considered unclean by Jewish people. But not only did they have the wrong blood, they also had the wrong Bible. If you're taking notes, write this down. Wrong blood, wrong Bible, because they only, they only adhered to and believed in the authenticity of the first five books of the Old Testament. They had their own modified version of the Pentateuch. So they had the wrong blood, they had the wrong They had the wrong Bible, but they also had the wrong building, the wrong place to worship. The Samaritans insisted that worship was to take place at Mount Gerizim at their temple. But the Jews said, no, 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 no. True worship happens in Jerusalem. But Jesus comes and clears it all up. And he says, it's not about this building or that building. It's not about this place or that place. True worship occurs as we worship God. How? In spirit and in truth. How many of y'all know it's not about the place we go? It's about the people who gather in Jesus' name and worship him according to the word of God. Revealed through Jesus the Son. Are y'all with me? So, but, but, but at this point, the Samaritans still had the stigma. They had the wrong blood, they had the wrong Bible, they worshiped in the wrong building, but there was something that they were doing right. They had the right belief that Messiah was coming. They believed that a Messiah was coming. And how many of y'all know? God sent Philip right into Samaria to proclaim the Messiah, the life giving gospel of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So Philip goes into Samaria, and he preaches the Word, performs signs, wonders, and miracles. And the Bible says this, at this point, that they did what? They paid attention to what he said. I guess so. Because it wasn't just a message. There were signs, wonders, and miracles. He says, Luke tells us, that unclean spirits came crying out with a loud voice, coming out of people, crying out. Demons were expelled in Samaria. It was an unclean place filled with unclean people who had unclean spirits. Are y'all getting the picture? Philip is there preaching the Messiah who came to drive devils out. The Messiah who came to clean people up. The Messiah who came to set people free. And while he was there, unclean spirits, were told, came out. And while they came out, they were crying out. Now, I love this because as we look in the book of Acts, what you will not see is a, a service where you have three songs, announcements. A good message. Better be good, right? And a connect card. Now, we do that every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with it, okay? But what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to show you here is in Acts chapter 8, this wasn't some squeaky clean, nice, neat service. This was messy. This involved demons coming out of people. And how many of y'all know it gets messy When demons come out of people. It's messy when demons are in people. But it's also messy when demons come out of people. This isn't just some sterilized, predictable church service. No. Demons were coming out and people were truly being set free. Now, you don't appreciate this until you have been possessed by a demon. And if you've been possessed by a demon and somebody comes up to you in Jesus' name and expels that demon and you go from being possessed by the devil to being full of the Spirit of God, you will rejoice, you will shout because you know what bondage is and by that time you certainly know what freedom is. You understand the contrast. But here we're told that they they came out and as they came out, they were crying out loud, loud spirits reminds me of Dr. Cho, a pastor of, uh, at one time, 800,000 people in South Korea, and here's what he said. Here's his rule. He said, in our, in our church, we cast out devil. If the devil don't leave, we cast out person. <laughs> then he goes, ha! <laughs> hey, come on, that's good theology. Well, I was reading the other day and listening to another sermon, and, and I heard a guy say this. He said, he said that, that we don't have authority today over demons like they did then. And he said, we don't have the authority. He said, all we can do is pray. Now, pray, how many of y'all know saying all you can do is pray? All we can do is pray? Prayer should be our first option, our primary, our primary responsibility, not a last resort. We can pray. Okay, yes. Thank you. Thank you. We will pray. But, but he goes on to say that, that well, we, but we don't have the authority that they had. Now, I, I will grant that I'm not the Apostle Paul. I don't have his authority. I don't claim overall to have apostolic authority the way he did. But I'll tell you something I do have. I have the name of Jesus. And the last time I checked, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> And if Jesus got demons on the run, then he will get demons on the run today through any believer who will stand flat-footed with the name of Jesus and speak that name over the demonic world. Come on, does anybody believe that there's still power in the name? The devil's the same. Thank God Jesus is the same. The power's the same. The authority's the same. Come on, y'all. There are people in your Samaria waiting for you like Philip to go in and use the name. There's no power in Scott's name, there's no power in OSC, there's no power in your name, but there is power, power, wonder, working power in the precious name of Jesus. If you believe it, give Jesus some praise today. Thank you for the name, especially on the 4th. Thank you for the name that gives freedom, that brings life. Thank you for the name. So Jesus is not physically here, of course, but he has left us with his name, with his authority. So I don't have to be the Apostle Paul. I just have to be Scott, but not rely on the power of Scott, but the power of the name. Does that make sense? So when you're praying, you don't have to go through, like, long training. You don't have to go through four years of Bible school to cast out a demon. Now, you do need some. I'm not saying that there's not a need for some training. But the book of Acts is messy. It was just, in Jesus' name, you better get out of there. Now, with that said, I was thinking about this earlier. And I'm thinking, okay, how does this translate today? For you, for me. I don't think anybody's demon-possessed in here. But I'm positive that many of you, though you're not demon-possessed, you are demon-oppressed. You understand that the greater one lives in you if you're a born-again believer. You understand that? Greater is he who lives in you than he that's in the world. You understand? If you don't understand that, then i got to go back. If you're born again by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, the devil cannot come and take up residence in your life. But, with God's permission, he can wreak havoc in your life. And you understand it's with God's permission. You understand the devil and God, they're, they're not co-equals. Like, we'll see who's going to win. It's Yahweh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. There's God, the eternal God of all creation. And then there's, there is Satan, a created being, who is on a short leash, and is always used by God's purposes, never the other way around. Do you get that? If you don't have a big view of God, you need help, and I'll be glad to help you with that. But some of us have a little view of God. It's like, we're going to see who wins. No, no, no. Read the Bible. Read the book of Revelation. I promise you, your God has absolute authority over the devil. And that authority works through us. So if you're a believer, you're, you're not possessed, but you can't be circumstantially oppressed. And if the devil didn't cause your depression, I promise you he's standing there, his demons, someone in that army, they're standing giving applause. They're applauding the works of darkness in your life. They love every moment that you sit in bondage and in depression. Those demons love every moment that you spend with your hand wrapped around that bottle, in that season of addiction, in that depression, they love every second of it. And today, Jesus wants to set you free. If you're here and you say, Pastor Scott, I feel darkness all around me. I feel darkness in my mind. I feel it emotionally. I feel it intellectually. I feel darkness. Let me see your hand right now. Let me see you right now. I know it's very vulnerable for you to raise your hand in church. Let me see your hand. Just raise your hand if that's you. You felt it. Thank you for being honest. I have felt it all summer. Is that vulnerable enough? Listen to me. The devil hates you. And I don't know how all of it works out. People have all these spiritual warfare books. They think they got it figured out. There's some things we can know because Scripture tells us. But there's some things that it's just, we just have to put the books down and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, give us freedom. If you're here, if you raise your hand if that was you, if that was you. This is where church goes from being so planned to just let's flow. Can we flow for a minute? Let's flow for a minute. Put your hands up right now. If you say, I feel that oppression, I feel darkness around me. Come on, if if that's not you, if you're full of joy and hope today, stretch your hand right now toward people who have their hands up. Come on, let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray today, Lord, for freedom. We pray for healing. We pray, Jesus, for deliverance. Lord, I know that, that many here are facing, Lord, physical ailments in their bodies, cancer, circumstantial issues, Lord, all kinds of problems from without, all kinds of problems within. But Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for freedom. Come on, pray with me, believers. If you're not dealing with this, pray right now for the person beside you. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we pray against depression, oppression. We pray against anxiety. We pray against addiction. We pray against the things of this world that would put a stranglehold on Your people. Holy Spirit, mighty God, would You set them free today? Come on, believers, pray out loud. Come on, pray out loud. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Come on, say it with me. In the name of Jesus, we take authority today over every demonic thought. Oh, very demonic spirit. And we pray for freedom to be released today. Freedom today, oh God. Lord, break through with your light and your life and the hope of the gospel. Holy Spirit of God, set the captives free. Set the captives free. Set the captives free, we pray. It's not in our name. It's not in how loud I pray it or say it. It's in the name of Jesus. Thank you for that name. Some of you right now, you're feeling the oppression lift. Jesus, by his spirit, is coming right now, breaking things off. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Come on, receive your freedom right now. Lord, we receive freedom. We thank you for medicine. Thank you for counselors. Thank you for all those wonderful gifts. But Jesus, your name is high above it all. Your name works through it all, even in counseling, even through medication. Your name, your name, Jesus, you are the creator of the universe. You heal directly from heaven, sometimes indirectly from things in this earth. Lord, right now, I'm praying for healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on, y'all. In Jesus' name. So Philip went down to Samaria, but he had some competition there. Let's pick it up in Acts 8, 9 through 11. But there was a man named Simon, everybody say Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city. And amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. A rather humble fellow, huh? He needs my message from last Sunday, doesn't he? Verse 10. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. Verse 11. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now, this guy's, this guy's classic. This guy's something else. Simon went around telling people that he himself was great. How many of y'all know, if you have to tell somebody you're great, you're probably not that great. Hey, I, I'm the great one. I have arrived. Y'all have been waiting on me. I have arrived. And some people there were, were dumb enough to buy in to his stuff. And they, they did so because, well, he performed magic. He was a magician. Now check this out. I'm teaching y'all the Bible. Y'all okay with this? So this was not Barnum and Bailey. This was Satan and Simon. Because these weren't like card tricks in Samaria. These were demonically empowered, demonically inspired magic tricks that captured people's attention. So Satan somehow was working through Simon, the sorcerer. Now you got Philip. He's coming to town to preach the Messiah. Then you got Simon in town who's practicing magic. Is it going to be magic or the Messiah that wins the day? We'll see. But all of this was just one big distraction. You can just picture Simon. I, we don't know the details of what he did. Just imagine performing magic tricks in the streets, people gathering around to see these magic tricks. And it says that they paid attention to him and they're actually mesmerized by Simon and his magic. Pretty incredible stuff here. Now, just let me hone in on this word. But let me focus on this word distraction for just a second. It's been said that if the devil cannot deceive you, he will do everything in his power to distract you. So there are people who come to church, hear the word, come here, get saved, get set free, leave. And because they don't keep their their eyes fixed on Jesus, some man or some woman comes and works his or her magic for that person leads them astray. Oh, I met this guy. I was serving Jesus. I was going to church. But pastor, I met this guy. Or I met this girl. Listen to me, I understand. I remember when I met Kelly, like, she was all I could think about. But when I met Kelly, her eyes were fixed on Jesus. My eyes were fixed on Jesus. And, and listen, she didn't have time for anyone else in her life except those who had their eyes on Jesus. So when I found, when I found Kelly, Kelly, found me, when we found each other, I, I get it. Like, I, I was, like, I'm ready to marry this woman. And how many of y'all know marriage is a good thing? But watch this. I'm just thinking about this for a second. The devil will use a man or a woman, a relationship that can be a good thing eventually. He'll use something like that to distract you from your pure devotion to Jesus. You are coming to church, you're doing so well. Oh, but he started working that magic. He started talking smooth talk, and I have seen. People leave the church time and time again because they bought into that person's magic show. Oh, he's a Christian. He's a believer. Really? We'll have him come to church. We'll see about that. We're not going to judge him. But if if he sold out to Jesus, where is he? Are y'all with me? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to pastor you and shepherd you. Listen to me. If he loves Jesus, he should be with you in church. If she loves Jesus, she should be with you in church. The Bible says, don't be unequally. Yo, come if you don't know the devil will use a relationship to drag you, to distract you, and drag you away from Christ. He'll use hunting, he'll use good things. I just went fishing with the legend John Bernard, had the time of my life. But you know what we talked about most of the time? Jesus! God, the peace of God. On the water of God, the water he created. We're out there, you know. I'm like, this is all God. So there's nothing wrong with hunting, there's nothing wrong with fishing, there's nothing wrong with finding someone, there's nothing wrong. But 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 check it out. We have to be careful to not allow anything in this world distract us from Jesus. Nothing in this world is that important. Nothing and no one. Nothing. And no one. If you love Jesus, come on, let's go together. Let's serve him together. But I'm not going to let you pull me away from him. So it happens all the time. Things in this world, magic, magic tricks, magical people who promise more than they can deliver distract us. Now, because y'all don't have July 4th plans, I'm going to go long. See what I did earlier? Got y'all in a trap. Now, I've said this before. Let me say it one more time. Back in the pandemic, when we were shut down, when are we going to have church? I can't wait to get back to church. I can't. Pastor, you preach as long as you want. Then we get back to church. Pastor, boy, 50 minutes. Listen to me. I'm going to be done when I get done. Or let me say it better. I'll be done when God's done. In about 30 minutes. (laughs) Listen, by the way, I'm just not that impressed by the devil's magic show. You see, the longer I walk with, with Jesus, the less impressed I am with the things of this world. Does that make sense? The, the, the more I get to know him and the longer I walk with him, the less impressed I am with the things of this world, even the good things of this world. Someone said, well, man, that guy's got a lot of money. Praise God. Yeah, right? Support the mission of God, give to charity, put your money to work. There is nothing wrong with having lots of money. But just remember this. Your God and my God owns the entire universe. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of John Bernard, we, we were in, the, in, the, in, in, his, in his truck, and we were talking about this very thing, and we were talking about how you know, we have to be satisfied in Jesus and not let money have dominion over us? And I said, yeah. I said, because God owns everything. He goes, that's right. And I said, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he goes, and the hills too. (laughs) Come on, y'all. The cattle on a thousand hills, the hills too. Everything in this world, he owns. And listen to me. I hope all of y'all live to be 110 years old. Some of y'all's not looking too good but I pray longevity over you. But never forget this, that our God has no beginning and He has no end. He's the one who always has been, the one who always will be. He's not the great I was, He's the great I am. If He's like a flame, like a fire, He's always been burning. You can never put Him out. So what am I doing on the 4th? I'm trying to get your mind off menial things to lift them to heavenly, eternal things that really matter. The creation is beautiful, isn't it? And if the creation is beautiful, how much more? The Creator. But like I said, I think about what the devil does. The devil can do a lot of things. Only what God allows him to do. The devil can kill. I mean, y'all know that's on his resume. He's a murderer. But that's easy. Killing people, that's easy. That, that's your trick, devil? That's easy. Try bringing somebody back to life. Oh, magicians pull rabbits out of hats, but our God pulls dead men from graves. Try that one. The devil brings disunity. That's easy. One Facebook post can do that. (laughs) y'all with me? But our God brings unity. The devil separates people. God supernaturally brings people together and he does it by the blood of Christ and by the power of the Spirit in this divided day and age. It's a miracle when you get this amount of people in one room united around one cause. White, black, doesn't matter where you come from. We're here because of Jesus. That's God. That's God. I'm just preaching to y'all today. The devil brings condemnation, and boy, that's easy. Have you ever noticed how easily condemnation, just waves of it come over you? That's easy to bring condemnation. But Jesus brings justification. He brings transformation, and only he can pull that off. Some people are spooked by demonic ghosts. But you won't be any longer once you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Because you don't have to live in fear of the evil one. When you get full of the power of the Holy One of Israel, instead of running from the devil, you'll get him running from you. Because you have authority in Jesus' name. So here's what impresses me. Are y'all interested? Here's what impresses me. The miracle working power of the gospel. Raising people from their spiritual graves. Setting us free from the law of sin and death. Liberating us to love God and to love one another. How many of y'all know this is the greatest show on earth and Jesus Christ is the superstar of it all. That's what impresses me. It says we begin to land the plane here. If you don't believe me about the power of the gospel. So we had magic and the Messiah. Who won out? Well, Acts 8, 12-13 says this. Here's Luke. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, even Simon (laughs) was amazed. Now, there's some controversy over whether or not Simon really got saved or not. It doesn't matter because we do know that the others definitely did. But on this occasion, we saw, as we've read, supernatural signs and wonders, healings. Just the most incredible show you've ever seen in Samaria. Because the Messiah was proclaimed. But as we get, land, uh, get ready to land the plane here, I would argue that the, the most astonishing sign was about to take place. Luke tells us that the Samaritans believed the gospel. They got water baptized. But something was lacking. Like, what else could be needed? Something was lacking. Right now the keys are lacking. Can somebody play? That's y'all's cue. Come on. Come up here and give me some music. Acts 8. Look at this. We're almost done, y'all. Give me some keys here. Acts 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now do you see what's happening here? Let me make it clear for you. These Samaritans, they get saved. They paid attention to what was said, They believed what was said and they got into the water and they got baptized. But they didn't have an act to experience. The Holy Spirit did not visibly come upon them. And the Bible says here that Peter and John traveled from Jerusalem. Forty miles from Jerusalem to Samaria. And they came And they laid their hands, they prayed and they laid their hands on the Samaritans. Now, we read this and we're like, well, that's nice. They prayed and they laid their hands on them. What a nice thing to do. But but see, we don't understand. We don't really fully understand. Because, as mentioned, the Jews hated Samaritans. And in most cases, the Samaritans hated the Jews. You don't, as a Jewish person, just travel 40 miles to go into a city, an unclean city filled with unclean people where it's like this gumbo of religion and sorcery going on and just walk right in and have a small group with Samaritans. You don't do that. But we're told here that Peter Peter and John, they, they travel 40 miles to lay their hands on people who had the wrong blood the wrong Bible, who worshipped in the wrong building, but had believed the gospel they traveled all that distance and, and they, they laid their hands on them now Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar says that keenly observed that, that in the gospel of Luke John wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans to destroy them But now in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John are traveling all that way. In this case, they're not there to pray for the fire to come down and burn them. Instead, they came to pray that the power of God would come down and bless them. Do you see what took place from Luke all the way into Acts chapter 8? Something had happened in Peter and John where they got the revelation that this is not just about Jews. This is not just about Jerusalem. This is not just about people who think like us and look like us. No, no, we've got to get on mission like Acts 1.8 says, and we've got to reach people beyond Jerusalem, not just here, not Judea, but Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they traveled all that way. And Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans. And when they did... That was their way of saying, you guys are now our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. All those distinctions, Jewish Samaritan distinctions, do not matter any longer in light of the Messiah who came from heaven to the earth to die for all to bring down the wall, to bring us home to God and close to one another. And when they laid their hands, it was them saying, feel this. You are our brothers. You are our sisters. Distance has separated us. Religion has separated us. But today, because you believe Jesus, we are now one. In him. And Paul says it this way there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And once they prayed and laid their hands on these Samaritans, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. They received the Spirit, like in Acts 2. There was some visible sign. They might have spoken in tongues. I don't know. But they received the Holy Spirit and the Spirit coming down. Watch this. So to speak. The Spirit coming. I believe was God's way of saying yes and amen to these Samaritans who were once far away are now a part of the body of Christ. And today the Holy Spirit is here coming upon us. We have all kinds of reasons to be divided today. All kinds of reasons to fight and to be divided. But we're here today because our sins have been forgiven because we've been freed by the blood of the lamb. And it doesn't matter if we're white or black. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter where we're from. What matters is who we're surrendered to. And his name is Jesus and he brings us together together on the fourth for freedom and as a picture to the powers and the principalities that racism will not win, prejudice will not win, pride in this community will not win, at least not under this roof with these people, with my people, with God's people, with you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Come on, look at your family. Look at your family. Look at your family right now. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Look at this, y'all. This is the greatest show on earth. This is the greatest show on earth. You are the greatest show on earth. Jesus is the hero of it all.